Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of Ask Distract. This is the show where we squeeze the knowledge from all the distract members of the team. And today I'm with Mike Shields, talking about everything from Extinction Rebellion, Spin Doctors, and how to use data. So Mike, the first thing I want to discuss is something that's really, really relevant right now. And I've always said I'd never want to get political when it comes to these sort of things. I've always said that, you know, Whenever it comes to marketing and business, try and steer away from political spheres because it's always going to annoy someone. But one of the movements I've seen that's been doing really well from a PR perspective and a marketing perspective right now is Extinction Rebellion. They're kind of this movement that's kind of come up over the last year, year and a half, and they've been all over the place. I actually re- recently went to a festival where the founder of Extinction Rebellion was actually doing a talk, um, and the amount of people that were crowded around that tent um, for something that only came up around about a year ago is quite phenomenal. So. What's your opinion on the PR they've done, how they've conducted themselves, and why they really are a huge t- talking point when it comes to the environment? Um, well, you say you kind of want to avoid political stuff, mm. but to be honest, um, the most political stuff at the moment is, is like really exciting for PR and marketing, yeah. so why not? Mm. You know? um, but Extinction Rebellion are like classic examples of the kind of um, old-school kind of protest group but they've got something about them that's making them a bit more um, annoying for people, I think, and, and sort of they're getting in people's heads a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a, like a huge fan. Like um, I can see what they're doing and I'm, I'm all behind the environmentalism part of it, but the actual, um, it sort of crosses into s- sort of certain aspects that I'm not comfortable with, mm. like, uh, you know, vandalism and sort of, um, kind of forcing their views on people a little bit but the way they're doing it is quite interesting so i saw one the other day where they were lying outside barclays bank in lincoln they got chucked out of the actual bank they were going to lie on the floor of the bank i think and um yeah so they just laid outside saying you know um they're not contributing enough to the environment or not they're not doing enough to save it and i think that kind of like that idea has, has sort of prevailed for about two decades now that kind of you can't sort of get people's attention by tapping on the shoulder anymore you've got to mm. kind of like just really whack them over the head with something and that's that's kind of what they're doing they're going full on um i've seen like varying sort of effectiveness of their things i, I don't know what you've seen what, what are you familiar with well the thing that i found really interesting i didn't know this is that obviously there's been movements in the past like greenpeace and you know you pay your three pound i mean this is what the fan actually said he said that there's loads of other environmental uh, charities out there like greenpeace who will say you know give us three pounds a month and we'll invest it the right way where the whole thing with Extinction Rebellion is they're not for that at all. But the thing that I found that was very interesting and the most interesting out of all these things is the founders or the close-knit circle that launched Extinction Rebellion are actually massive uh, branding experts from agencies in London, uh, which I found was very interesting, right? The essentially what you have at the very core of Extinction Rebellion is actually a brand strategy, a marketing strategy um, that people would pay hundreds of thousands of pounds for essentially given to a charity for free which is very interesting and, and it probably is the reason that uh, as a movement they've grown in popularity so much because their branding and marketing has been done so well and all we've got to do in my opinion is look at things like um the brexit campaigns and the brexit party actually as a, as a campaign very very switched very very smooth what they did was in my opinion incredible even down to the the arrow pointing towards the box on the ballot paper was you know really great brand and marketing and we've seen the exact same things when it comes to Extinction Rebellion. And I think when you look at branding and marketing from a grassroots level from the ground up, that's what it takes to get it right. And once you get it right, 
the movement, the impact moves forward. Now, what, what I mean by that really is, if you had terrible branding, terrible movement, and terrible everything else around Extinction Rebellion, the fact that it got noise and excitement behind it would make no difference, right? Your, your noise and excitement times by a, a crap brand is crap. But when you have a good brand and good brand messages and great brand strategy and you have noise, it's noise times by great brand strategy equals huge noise and great exposure. Um, and that's why I think they've done so well. There's been thousands, probably, of charities talking about the environment and doing exactly the same things for the last decade, probably. Um, why has Extinction Rebellion took off so much? Because their branding and PR has been so spot on. Um, you know, putting a big boat, was it at Water, Waterloo or whatever it was, putting that massive boat there, yes, it's a message. But it's actually a brand piece. Yeah. They've now that image of the boat, you know, is now huge. That is the image for Extinction Rebellion. And you know, I'm not saying I support or I mean, you know, for me, does is the, are there environmental issues? Yes, of course. Are they in the right way of doing it? Probably not. I don't. I don't believe so. But the point is, putting a big boat there from a branding perspective is ingenious. Yeah, and I think they've taken over from the likes of Greenpeace because Greenpeace used to do a lot of kind of. PR stunts, as, mm. as it were. Like uh, they used to go out to see and you know put big flags on oil tankers, and they used to just make co- quite big impacts like that. But I haven't really heard much from them in recent years. It's kind of become almost like a, a charity people give to, and it's it's a nice thing to do. And but I think Extinction Rebellion have got a bit more of a a fever about them. Mm. That they've got like a, a cause, and they've got a bit of burning anger inside them to sort of make them do this stuff. And like the branding, like you say, it's almost appearing like anonymous did a few years ago. So that kind of that mask meant a lot yeah. to people but that was like an internet kind of movement whereas this is like i've noticed a lot of people especially in lincoln are like the older type who might have like lost faith in kind of greenpeace and um sort of more softer approaches and they're like well actually something needs to be done now mm. and you know that's been said for a while now but like this this is people taking action and i think the the branding that the particularly i think it's an hourglass isn't it or something like Incredible, that really. it's everywhere mm-hmm. i mean i've seen graffiti all over sheffield all over lincoln and it's just taking hold a bit and people know what it means now well the, the the designer that did that obviously did it for free and his one caveat was that this can never be on anything that's for sale so if you wrote a book if extinction rebellion have written a book the hourglass isn't on there it's ref- you, it has to be everything that's on is for free which is again amazing for me it just goes to show that the best way to get any movement is by doing something outstanding, so a boat in, in the thing, and then get a huge passion and populism behind it. It makes any movement. One of the best campaigns I've ever seen was uh, Mark Pearson, who drove a tank for My Voucher Codes through London, yeah. right? The amount of press that got, you know, it might have cost him a few grand to hire that tank, right? But it was on the front page of every newspaper everywhere and i still think believe right now that these massive ridiculous things if you do them right it's worth every single penny and auto trader obviously did one recently um, which is i think it's called the auto trader car vending machine and the thing that i think that's so amazing about this campaign is that they did some research that said that the biggest worry people have when they're buying a car is about haggling and about you know should i haggle on price um the second biggest fear they had is hidden fees you know or what, what we're gonna get hit with the fees so by making this this vending machine uh, it almost made it seem like it's just a normal transaction relax you know you take all your stress away come buy a car today for 21 grand what's your opinion on things like that um i think that sometimes just something like that can make all the difference and it's long lasting as well i mean people are going to remember that auto trader the people that have done it and that they've done it first 
And what I like about that is they've added another little element to it. So it's contactless as well. It's enabled to be contactless. So, you know, obviously you've got to sort of go through some sort of process before you just whip your card out. But that's amazing. I think it's 16 grand for this mm. car, like a ready ready to drive, like brand new car. And yeah, you can just buy it with, you know, a flicky wrist. It's amazing. I, so think, I think it's really leaning on the fact that Auto Trader is easy to buy a car. You don't have to worry about anything. The fee you see is the fee you pay. They've, they've, they're trying to make all the perceived values and worries that people had, take them away by saying, look, if you want to buy a car, so you can. And the reality is no one's probably going to no buy that car, right? Of course they're not. But by utilizing that as a, as a landmark in central London, it goes to say, look, if you want to buy a car without any worries, we know your concerns. We've done the research. And these are your concerns. You can buy a car today. And I think, you know, when it came to looking at that piece and reading about why they actually did that vending machine, you know, concerns about haggling, concerns about hidden costs. The report that I read was almost 25% about the vending machine car, 50% of Waffle, and 25% was actually about the data. And that leads me on to talking about data because I think that that is so, so important right now. You know, maybe that someone had a great idea of creating a car vending machine. But my guess would be that people looked at the data first realized what their concerns were, the worries about everyone has with cars, and thought, what can we do to do that, the vending machine? So data in PR, what's happening? Where's it going to go next? Yeah, I mean, the data will have led that from the start. The the, the car vending machine, it's a, it's a nice idea, but the the reason it's there is because someone's noticed, well, wait a minute, that's like a real concern for our customers, and we haven't actually addressed that, and how do we address that in a, a way that people understand straight away? So I, I love that. Um, yeah, data, data is feeding a lot of PR at the moment, like um, just being able to prove what you're saying, because like, there's so many voices trying to say essentially the same thing across business. There's, there's basically got to be reasoning behind um, what you're saying. If you're, if you're like thought leadership is fine, like saying what you want to the press is absolutely fine. But if you've got something to back that up, you've got evidence, they're going to sit up and take a bit more notice, aren't they? Mm. I think that's the key. I think that's really important. I mean, traditional PR was very much, I'm a brand, I have a message, I'm telling you, as a journalist, you should feel respectful that I'm sending this to you. But now it's got, it's, it's, it's much different than that. It's much more varied. And we need to be, as PRs, providing value to these editors and journalists with, look, here's something you've never seen. This is data that you won't have read before. You know, the 48% or whatever it is of people that worry about haggling for a car data, the auto trader ran, that's new data. No one, no one else knew that apart from the data that auto trader ran. And I think PRs need to start understanding and learning more that if we want to get this unique piece of content, and this big title that everyone dreams for, we have to be giving them some value. We shouldn't be sitting there and expecting them to run our press story. We shouldn't sit there expecting them to run our thought leadership piece. We have to go in there with some value. So in terms of getting data, you know, what advice would you give people listening to this podcast to go and get some data? Like, how, What do they do first? Uh, well, you could do anything. I mean, you could literally... Uh you know chair a survey yourself i mean that's quite difficult logistically but it's worth doing in the end if you can find like a way to sort of survey your own customers you know there's there's got to be ways to do it you know um email campaigns and or something like that you know just oh while, while we've got you would you mind answering a few questions something like that something simple like that you can go external i mean we've we've used external uh, people to gather data before um and that just kind of reiterates kind of what you're what you're after and i think the key thing to remember though like it's like getting this data is great but it's actually asking the right questions mm. before you actually get it and then knowing what to actually do with it you could go with a press release and you could just say like you know 48 percent people worry about haggling um that on its own isn't going to get you the press that you want 
like I think what Auto Trade have done really well is they've gone right. Well, here's a fact, and that's quite interesting. But in black and white, that's a little bit boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, they've actually like linked it to something tangible that people can like look at and go, "Oh, that's a nice gimmick." You know, but why why is that there? You know, it's asking the why. I think it's kind of getting their attention like that. You've got to kind of again, it's that sort of clubbing people over the head with something. Just like right here, here's a fact, and here's something to illustrate that fact. So, data on its own is just raw data. Mm. You know, I think that's actually really you, you touched on something there, which is really important, which I actually personally didn't think about, and. They kind of say sound stupid out loud, but whenever I've looked at data research and building up unique data I've ever heard of, the first thing that I've always thought is, yep, go out there, get your sample group, run some data analysis, pull the data in, write a nice uh, article around it, send it out. And that really is kind of pretty much black and white how it's done. Yeah. But the thing I hadn't thought about before is all your unique customers, right? So if you are a brand that's got a decent amount of sales coming through, you know what they're buying. You know, you know they're, where they're from. You, you have actual better data than you will ever really have. If you ask them a unique question, that is actually data no one else has. Yeah. So, so if you were like, I don't know, let's arguably say you're a um, a camping a camping brand, and you've had a hundred thousand users uh, buy buy tents off you um, in summer, then you message them and say, you know. Um, where where's the best where was the best place that you went in the last 10 years in terms of camping in the UK that is a very tight audience that's people who have bought tents this year this summer that we know are camping that we know where they live and that data is so prevalent and no one's going to have that data so when you're writing that article when it comes to a press release or or being a PR that data is no one's going to get close to that no one's going to get close to people who have got that specific in-depth piece of information and that is what everyone should be thinking about yeah we can go and get data yeah, we can go and pay the data providers, and that's fine. We, we have to do that sometimes. But what do we have that no one else has? You know, what do we have? Like CB Library, I always talk about it, the top five places uh, to live in the UK. You know, Lincoln was number five. Well, what, how do they get that information? Well, they have more data than most people uh, in terms of career progression, where people are looking for jobs, people are moving from. They would know where people are leaving from because of the jobs they're leaving from. You know, just what I'm saying? Like, they understand a lot more than everyone else. I mean, there must be a clause in all their sort of marketing material that sort of allows them to do that. You know, like, if you sign up to CV Library, you're probably handing over quite a lot of information. But they're using that in a clever way. They're they actually, research, you, yeah. they're not just letting it sit there, which I think probably a lot of people might, to be honest. I think the biggest biggest throwaway marketing that anyone ever does in the uk right now is they don't value the data they have they're constantly out there running their facebook ads doing their pr doing their seo paid advertising whatever but they're not actually sitting there and going actually we have twenty-three thousand customers right now that have bought from us in the last six months what can i utilize this for to get more can i run surveys for press release stories can i run remarketing data can i pull segmented audiences what can i do with that you know they're working so hard to get the customers but they're not sitting there and figuring out what to do when they've got the customers. And you know, I'm running campaigns now, I think that campaigns to run now where we want to lose money because we want to get the customer data. What we do with that data is actually worth more than the initial purchase. You know, you get a customer, yeah, you, you, they buy for you for 10 years, that's a big customer that's cost you nothing in the future. So attribution costs and getting data and utilizing data is so, so important. Um, one of the things that um, we got a question through actually, um, and I thought you were the best person to ask, answer, answer for this, Giants, because it, I think I think this is perfect for you, actually. So I'm going to bring it up. So, so we got a message from Instagram from Joel, and Joel said, let me get it up. Let me, let me, I'm going to read it direct, so I can't even possibly mistake what he said here. Um, great content, especially about the quality audience, blah, blah, blah. 
with personal brand, what is the advice for people without the confidence to get in front of the camera? So, you know, you can't be like us where it's all rah-rah on camera. You know, you, you're, you're quite shy, quite reserved, quite nervous, don't want to be on camera. Now, I know a lot of guys in the office who hate being on camera, but, you know, they just they get on with it, you know, because kind of, it's the vibe that distracts have. You know, you come and work here, you want, you're getting in front of the camera. That's what, you know, that's what happens. But I do understand some people don't like doing it. And, you know, I want to know your opinion. You don't like getting on the camera, what do you do? Um, I think you've got to remember how much you actually know. I mean, I think the the two camera sort of pieces we used to do, um, I think kind of showcased how much knowledge there actually is floating around. And, and the things that you think of every day are mundane and, and, you know, like just routine. They're actually the most interesting things of all because no one else knows that or very few people know that. Mm. If you're, you're in a, like whatever you do, you're the expert in what you do, hopefully. You know, you, you won't set up a company not knowing a thing about a subject, you know, a present company accepted, maybe. I don't know. With <laughs> some of the things we're talking about at the moment. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, um, I think you've got to remember that you're, you're always going to be the expert and people are always going to be looking to you for advice. So whatever it is you've got to say, as long as you say it with a bit of confidence and a bit of conviction, people are going to sit up and take notice. I think, like, nerves obviously take a massive toll on people's performances but like I guess imagine you're just talking to a client you know yeah that's the thing I think I completely agree if you're opposite someone in a room and you know exactly what you're talking about just because there's an electronic piece of equipment there <laughs> it doesn't make any difference yeah. really does it I mean um, a lot of people say like with podcasting for example like that's that's a real sort of um, point where people go oh what should I do how, how do I start it and it's like well just do it and just get on with it and you know just talk and you can always edit it if it's not right there's a, such a thing as editing these days. It's not black and white anymore. I think that people are too self-critical as well. I think that, you know, um, I personally don't really look at any content that we put out um, because I just trust the process, which is people will like it, people will hate it. Um, if, if if we haven't done anything stupid, really stupid, then we'll just put it out. Um, I don't think you can really lose. For me, I think that if you're scared of being on camera and it's a real issue for you, uh, don't be on camera like that's that's the reality of the situation and um, we are doing a podcast right now there are cameras in the room uh, it doesn't feel like we're on camera though do you know I mean it feels like we're just talking yeah. i mean i unless i look at the camera i don't really know there's a camera there um so i would say if you really can't do stand in front of a camera and talk figure out ways where you can create content that's really natural to you so is a podcast going to work if podcasting if it's still unfamiliar if you, you didn't quite like that you know Write your laptop out, write, write, a, write an article. You know, if, if it's still not good enough for you, you know, go and make images. Like, there is ways to create content and build a personal brand. Um, a lot of us, like we would say, to build a personal brand, you want to have multiplied different routes of content, you know, PR, your podcast, your videos, etc. But the reality is, you can build a good brand by just writing. You can build a good brand by just doing podcasts. Like, find your craft. Find what, you, what fits and works with you. Um, yes, it may take longer if all you do is write every day. But if you write every day, you're further ahead than the person who doesn't write every day. And, and that's how I truly believe that all marketing and personal branding is. Yeah, you might have two, two views in your video, right? You might have 12 people that actually tune into your podcast, whatever it may be. The reality is, by doing something, you're one step ahead of anyone else. And then I believe massively in compound growth. Uh, which is we'll do one a day we'll get one viewer a week it will build over 23 years we're somewhere uh, so i would just say get started find what you're comfortable with let's say you're, you're not comfortable with anything other than writing write something once a day uh, in six months you might get conf enough confidence to then do audio and then after 12 months you might get confidence to do video and 
just chill. Just do your thing, build into it, relax, and go from there. And I think you're spot on, to be honest with you. If you're going to do a podcast, just whack a camera there and forget it's there. It feels normal. So I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, it came out, obviously, a lot about the uh, political stuff, etc. we were talking about earlier. Um, what's your opinion on spin doctors? And, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a really interesting point to look at. Uh, spin doctors within the political world, spin doctors within the business world, and essential crisis management, I suppose, is a good way to round that up. Okay, I actually feel really sorry for... Um, any spin doctors these days like political spin doctors in particular because their job is no longer just being friends with newspapers and editors it's yeah. literally 24 7 and it's round the clock so that's why you'll see bigger teams i mean we talk, we've talked about this on previous podcasts i think but the conservatives have basically ramped up their social media spend massively and they're testing things just like in there might be a general election soon we're pretty pretty sure there is going to be one um and they're preparing like almost like building an army to be yeah, honest they mu- I, I dread to think how many people they're actually employing at the moment so the days of you know malcolm tucker from the thick of it or whatever that's probably gone like in all reality um it's probably a team who have like a sort of unified approach and are all on the same you know they're all towing the same line but yeah spin doctors mate i don't i don't know if um if that's as effective anymore, to be honest, mm. I feel like it's more—it's more the sway of social media and the ways that you interact with an audience rather than the controllers of that. I completely agree, and I think it's—it's it's been definitely it's hard harder than now because the truth always comes out, right? So if we look back to the Amazon rainforest was on fire and it took three weeks for mainstream media to pick it up, it came eventually because the way the social media and the digital world works is the truth comes out eventually. So you can spin all you want and you can cover up all you want, but eventually it will come out. Um, but I don't want to go on that too long because I think it's kind of a relatively boring topic, to be honest. But <laughs> I asked it. Yeah, I'm being honest. But what I want to talk about is a very final thing to wrap it up because I think this is really, really important for everyone listening to this. And we get it time and time again. We'll do talks. We'll sit down with people and they say, look, we haven't got much money for our marketing advertising. What should I? What should I do? Yeah, yeah. I, I get asked this quite a lot, and um, I think, like we said before, it's it's a similar thing to what we we're saying about starting um, any sort of activity. Just just try. Just like you can do things for free. You can write for free. You can send emails for free. That's that. That's your tools are right there in front of you. It's just the the main thing that people don't have is time, and I think it's finding what you're um, comfortable with talking about. Um, finding a unique angle and just getting it out there a little bit. Mm. Um, in terms of social media, like obviously we don't particularly sell the idea of organic anymore, and I think that's probably wise. Um, but there's nothing stopping you from putting a tiny little bit of budget into something and just just like experimenting and see how it goes. And then once you know what works, you can go right. Well, next year, why don't we put a bit more aside for marketing? Why don't we sort of think about this? and actually get it going but in terms of pr i mean there's there's so many ways i mean we've utilized so many already mm. um we've got you speaking slots for free we've got you podcast guests for free um and we've got you in sort of national press um without trying very hard to be honest mm. as long as you've got something to say people are more than likely to listen you know just find the ones that are actually look sort of looking out for it um a great great thing with pr uh, to sort of look out for is journey request and we've we've got so many opportunities from that it's just a simple hashtag on twitter and this is like where organic comes into its own really this is where like people are actually like starving for information and they're looking out for things if you can help them you know they, they usually say my dms are open my emails are open just pitch me something 
what's stopping you from saying right i'm i'm x i work in y here's a point z Done. you know that's it and if they like it they'll contact contact you and obviously like we've talked about this before as well the rolling nature of that so once you get something published don't just leave it and have it published use it on social media use it to pitch to other people so you can say oh by the way i've been in this magazine talk about this i've also got an opinion about this what do you re- what do you reckon i've got imagery i think things to have are like an opinion some imagery and just a bit of enthusiasm for it <laughs> because if if you're not enthusiastic about it no one's gonna sort yeah. of take you up on your offer are they so yeah there's, there's plenty of ways you can get started but like if people want to sort of get in touch with me i'm always always glad to sort of uh chat about it yeah that's the thing with this podcast is i really want everyone to listen to it if you have got a question or opinion or you want some someone to reach to reach out and ask then you know, by all means always always get in touch our in, just hit us up on instagram or twitter which is distract hq i'm gonna wrap up the the show now for today um thanks again for listening as always if you have any other questions like i said hit, hit us up on instagram or twitter and we'll speak to you next week